All right. Um, hello, my name is Ashley Murda. Um, if you're wondering where Pastor Brett is today and who this random girl is, um, I'm going to be sharing today. So Pastor Brett is away this morning. Um, this is only my uh, second time doing this, so give me a little grace. Um, but yeah, I, I have uh, shared here once before, and oftentimes I'm serving in Stony Plain or Spruce Grove or wherever, so if I haven't uh, had the pleasure of meeting you before, that is who I am. And I'm excited to be sharing today. Um, so we have, if you've been in church the last few weeks, we have been going through a series called Child of God. Um, and sort of unpacking what that means to be a child of God and to understand our position and how Christ sees us. So some of the things that we've talked about, we've talked about adoption, we've talked about um, how we're sanctified through Christ, um, or sorry, we're justified through Christ. And today what I'm going to be speaking to you about is uh, sanctification. So this is a bit of a heavy topic, so we'll get uh, get right into it. Um, But yeah, I think... I'm excited to share. I feel like God has uh, something to say today, and and yeah. So let's let's get into it. Um, I don't think we can understand the process of sanctification and what that is until we understand what God has already done in us, and we understand kind of what our series has been talking about. So to start off, we are chosen. We have been set free. So when we accept. You know, we're born sinful, and um, when we accept the forgiveness of Jesus, now when God looks at us, he doesn't see this broken, sinful person, but instead, Jesus' blood covers us, and now we have been made right with God. And there is nothing that we can do to change that position that we have. So no amount of praying or going to church or, you know, doing the right things or helping people, nothing is going to change our position of, of how God sees us. He always sees us as a child of God. And that's what we've been talking about uh, in this series. So that already is powerful. I could probably pack it up there and, and be good to go. But we're going we're gonna to go further than that today. Um, so I believe that beyond that kind of original salvation and that moment where God justifies us, he then wants to do a work in our lives. And he wants to take us that much further. He wants to transform us. Um, he wants to basically, as sanctify the word sanctify means, he wants to set us apart for his purpose. So there is this process of setting apart, but there's a reason behind it too. Like God wants to use us for his purpose and that's the work that he's doing. Um, So yeah, like I said, there's nothing that we can do to change that position to God. And so I think sometimes we can sort of get into the trap of, well, if I, if there's, if nothing's going to change, if no matter what my behavior is, God always sees me as a child of God, like why should I, why should I bother? Why should I try? Um, but the truth is that God has a better way for us. He's the creator of the universe. He created you. He knows us individually. And because of that, his purpose, his plan, his way that he set out for us is always going to be better. It's always going to lead to more life and more fullness. So a lot of people, I think, in this world, I don't know, are on, a, on the search for kind of like self-improvement or, you know, becoming your best self. Um, has anyone here before purchased a like self, I don't know, not self-help, that seems like a bad word, but like self-betterment book before of any sort? Like, you know, how to be a better mom, how to be a better child, I don't know, how to be 
better at anything. Um, I think that this is in our nature to some extent. So studies show that about a third to half of people have purchased a self-improvement book in their lifetime. So some of you are lying because I don't think there was a third of hands. Um, but I, like I said, I think that there is something to be said about like this desire within us to like live in a, in a proper way. Um, and actually I think there are even some studies like probably on the studies, but that say that these like self-help things don't always help because sometimes it just makes us feel like there's this standard and we're just like not reaching it. And so you read this self-help book and you're like, I'm going to do all these things. And then we fail. And then it's like a vicious cycle. Um, and I think that has something to say about like trying to do this on our own effort. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Now, I'm not necessarily one to uh, read all the rules when I play a new game. I don't know about you. Um, but I kind of just figure that, like, I'll figure it out as I go along. Or another way that I kind of do this is when I'm reading a recipe. So I don't know if any of you like to cook. But, like, what I'll do is I just look at the ingredients list and, like, look at a picture. I'm like, I got this. Like, I can figure it out. And it's funny because I teach food studies, and so if my students saw me cook, they'd probably be like, you're a bit of a disaster. And it's not what I teach them to do, but do what I say, not what I do. Um, but basically, what I'll do is then, there, and the contrary of this is there's this French term called mise en place, which I'm supposed to teach my students. And basically what it means is everything in its order. So it's like, before you start a recipe, before you start cooking, what you should really do is cut all your vegetables, have everything out, ready to go, measured, and then you start cooking, and then your kitchen will not end up looking like mine does when I finish a recipe. I will say the food usually still tastes good, but my kitchen is a disaster by the end of it because like, I thought this was gonna take this long and this ends up taking this long, and it's just not the best way to do things. I haven't learned my lesson yet, but maybe soon. Um, but there's a reason that these things, these rules and this kind of way to set things out exists. Um, and in the same way, I think there's a, there's a reason that God sets out a way for us to live and he sets out kind of guardrails or parameters for us to keep us safe and to keep us in a place where we can prosper and we can flourish. Now, I'm going to be reading a little bit from Colossians 3 today, actually quite a bit. And we have been in this passage throughout this series so I think it fits really well with where we've been and where we're we're going um but I'm gonna set out a few different sort of ways that we can embark on this process of sanctification or letting ourselves be set apart be changed so that God can can do this work and do what he needs to do in us so just to start though I'm gonna start with Romans uh 12 2, and it just says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And even here it's saying, okay, if we let God do the work that he wants, if we let him take us on this journey, he will take us to the good and pleasing and perfect will that he has for us. So my first passage, or my first point today, sorry, is just to set your mind. So set your mind. Um, I don't know if you remember the first time you started driving. Um, for me, it was a little over, probably about 10 years ago now. And I remember learning how to drive. And when you're learning a new skill like that, you are thinking about every little thing, right? You're thinking, 
okay, so here's the gas, here's the brake, here's the steering wheel. How much do I have to turn it to turn right? I, the one thing that I totally remember is I was like, how do people know how soon to start stopping at a red light? Like, are you supposed to stop way back here? Are you supposed to be like closer? Like I honestly, like it, it kept me up at night. I wasn't sure. And, um, and also the other thing is like when the hand flashes, so you know it's like about to turn yellow. So you're like, do I slow down? Or then am I gonna be like stopping at a green light? I don't know if any of you thought about this, but I remember when I was learning how to drive, I was like, I don't get it. How does everyone just know? Um, but at the same time, now, since I've been driving for so long, like, I can drive from work to home, and I literally remember nothing. Like, it's just second nature. You do not think about it because it has become ingrained in you. I'm not thinking anymore, like, when should, when's the best time to start stopping before a red light? Like, it just comes naturally to you because you've done it so many times. In the same way, I think when we set our mindset on the things of God, at the beginning, it's going to be this intentional thing. We have to remind ourselves to think about heaven, to think about the things of God. But then, as time goes on, this whole setting your mind process, it, doesn't, it becomes natural. It starts to be ingrained in, in our brain. So Colossians 3, I'm going to start by reading verses 1 to 4. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Um, and Paul is speaking um, to the people uh, in Colossians, and he's saying, Okay, so at the beginning, like, set your mind. Do this work. Um, he says, the th set it on the things of heaven and not the things of earth. And I think sometimes it becomes really easy for us to get very caught up in the things of earth. And we don't remember to just change that mindset and set it to the things of God. Um, I think, too, one of the things I just wanted to talk about with that is that I, you know, there's this distinction between the things of heaven and then the things of earth. And I think sometimes we start to live this sort of divided life and we think, okay, so the things of heaven, those important parts are kind of like the, you know, praying, maybe speaking to someone about God, going to church, you know, all of those sorts of like heavenly things where it's very clear you're giving that time to God. And then we sort of find the rest as like wasted time. So you're eating, you're sleeping, you're, you know, work, whatever that is. It's sort of that like other or that, you know, it's not bad, but it's not necessarily good. It's not the things of heaven. And we sort of distinguish like the holy versus maybe the unholy or everything else. We set aside that as kind of wasted time. But if we think about who Christ was, he, he did all of those things. He did the eating and the sleeping and the spending time with his disciples and all of that, that stuff. And God says that he, he was pleasing to Jesus, or to him, sorry. Jesus was pleasing to God, right? He, there wasn't wasted time in Jesus' life. There wasn't this distinction between the holy and the unholy. So instead of just setting aside, like, okay, I'm going to think about the things of heaven, I think it's where we bring this heavenly mindset to everything that we do, to every part of our day, to our eating, to our sleeping, to our speaking with our friends, and all of that kind of stuff, and not sort of separate these things and live this divided life. Um, I just liked sort of 
how, so if we believe that we can find God in those simple deeds, those simple things we do, then we are going to start to find him there. He will start to show up in those moments that you're not expecting him when our mindset is focused and trained and, and ready to, to find him in those places. All right, number two. Uh, so number one, set your mind. Number two, uh, put to death your vices. And I'm just going to read from Colossians 3, 5 to 11. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping all the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Now, I think this is the part where we can start to lose some people. Um, a lot of people see like our faith and our religion as this like stuffy sort of set of rules. Like, don't, don't, don't. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being told what to do. In fact, sometimes I'll be doing like a simple task and somebody might tell me how to do it in a more efficient way. And I will not do that simply because somebody told me to do that. And I know their way is better, but I don't care because it's like I just don't want to admit that they're right and like I'm wrong. It's probably a heart issue. I should pray about that. But um, maybe you're like me. Maybe you can relate that it's hard to be told what to do. You don't want to hear the word no. Um, Yet here I am, I'm saying like, well, we need to listen to God. We need to, when he tells us not to do something, we need to listen to that. But in John 10.10, Jesus is talking uh, to a group of Pharisees and how he is like our good shepherd. And what he says is, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Now, I think it's important to note that he doesn't say like an easy and stress-free life, but he says he will give us a rich and a satisfying life. So I truly believe that the reason that he gives us these don'ts and he gives us these guardrails is simply because he wants to give us what is better for us. He knows because he has created us. As I was thinking about this, I remembered a sermon I heard a long time ago, and there was an analogy about this show called Fatal Attractions, and I don't, I can't quote who it was from because I don't remember, so I'm mildly plagiarizing here, but, um, and basically what this show is, it aired on the Discovery Channel, I think, a while ago. I don't think it's still going, and it's all of these people who think that it's a good idea to own exotic animals. Um, So basically what happens is I watched a few as I was preparing. I figured I should, you know, so I watched like three episodes on YouTube. Um, And one of them was this family who owned like white tigers. And they take, basically what happens with this family, it seems ridiculous, but they have these white tigers. The, The white tiger is on the compound or something and the son has to go out and try to bring it from one place to the other and he goes out to get the tiger and the tiger like 
kills him, essentially, attacks him and kills him. And um, then the mom is like, well, I need to face my fear of this white tiger that killed my son. So she goes out a few days later, and the tiger also attacks and kills her. And you're watching this, and you're like, yeah, this is terrible. Like, why why are people thinking like this? Why do they think that owning these, these pets, pets are okay? Um, but have you ever seen a baby white tiger before? They are very cute. Like, if you were to pet one and hold one, I can very much relate to somebody being like, I should take this home. Like, this is going to be my pet. I love this thing. And I, like, I have had these thoughts before. Like, how cool would it be to own one of these animals? And the thing with owning a baby white tiger is a baby white tiger isn't going to kill you, right? A baby white tiger might nip at you, you know, might draw like a little bit of blood, but you're like, ah, it's fine. It's really cute. It's going to be okay. But the thing is, the white tiger is not going to stay a baby. It's going to grow up. It's going to become a full-sized white tiger. And in that case, this thing has an animal instinct inside of it. And it's going to kill you, right? Like that's what it's been, it, it can't change its what it is. That's exactly what it is. That's what it's been sort of like ingrained in its brain without it knowing it. I think in the same way we kind of treat sin like this and we say, well, this one's okay. It's really cute. It's not going to hurt me. You know, it's just this little thing. It's this little area. Or maybe we like tell ourselves, well, it's not like, it's not really sin. Like, it's just like a little thing. It's not a big deal. But the thing is, as soon as we let that into our lives or let that into our home, like the baby white tiger, that sin is going to grow. That sin has one plan. It has one goal, and that is to kill you. So I think if we don't take this seriously, and if we don't really understand this, like we have to actually fight this, right? Because the baby white tiger is going to kill you. The sin that you let in, it's a big deal. It's a big thing. We need to be aware. We need to be watchful. Um, so uh, I think the reason that our culture is so obsessed with this self-betterment and becoming our best self is because we know that deep down we need discipline and we need intentionality for a full life. And what better way than God's way? He knows us. He created us. Um, and he knows what is best for us. I also just wanted to take a second and, and distinguish between condemnation versus conviction. Because sometimes when we set this standard and we say, like, God has this way, there are, there are some things that are important that are serious. We know that we're probably not going to succeed 100% of the time. You know, when it says that we can't have, in Colossians 3, um, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, like all of these things, it's hard to reach that standard sometimes. In Romans 8, Paul says, Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Sometimes we think about these standards, and, and I think we feel like because we don't measure up, it's this sense of like condemnation. And whether that's coming from other people, whether that's coming from ourselves, I think what condemnation leads to is it leads to shame. And shame is a really powerful thing because shame shuts us up. And it makes it so that we're not talking to other people, that we're not trying to go further in this. It kind of like halts us and stops us. Um, I teach uh, high school students, and well, junior high and high school, but... Um, I find that when I have conversations with them, it's at a Christian school. So if I have conversations about them, where they're at in their faith and, and what kind of some of their struggles are, 
so often there are kids who are saying, like, they kind of feel disqualified. Like, what God is doing, it's for somebody else. I've done something that disqualifies me from God's love. Or I don't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Or all of these things. And I think what that is, is it's like they see the standard. They know that they don't measure up. And so there's condemnation and there's shame. The difference of what the Bible offers is conviction. When we have conviction, this is the Holy Spirit in us joining us on this journey. If we're trying to do this by ourselves, what we're doing is we're becoming slaves. If we just do what we're kind of just following these rules because we feel like we have to and there's nothing in us that is pulling us towards Jesus in this process, then we are slaves. But the Bible says, and I think Johnny used the verse when he was speaking um, in between worship, and he said, like, we are supposed to be sons, and we're supposed to be daughters. And what that means is that the conviction is propelling us forward. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is taking this journey with us instead of us just trying to do this on our own effort. Number three. So we'll move on from uh, number two. Put on virtue instead. So this is good. Um, verse 12, Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I think as we pursue and we focus on these areas, you know, fill yourself with love, mercy, kindness, humility, all of these things. If we're focusing on, on loving one another, if we're focusing on all of the things that God has for us, it almost like starts to choke out the areas that are dark and the areas that are holding us back. I know um, when I first got my house, it had like so many weeds in the grass and um, it was an issue for me to try to like get all these weeds out. I ended up like hiring one of those things and it worked great by the way. But um, my cousin always told me, uh, Seb always told me that the, the best antidote to having weeds is having healthy grass. Because if you have healthy grass, if you've got the good stuff growing, then the weeds get choked out. And I think in the same way, if we focus on the good things that God has for us, the light, and we focus on the things of heaven, then those other dark things start to, there's, there's not life being given to them. There's not the nutrients and the, and the water and all of that stuff. They're not, be, they're not growing anymore. And it's easier to pull those and uproot those out of our life. Now, um, if you know me or have known me for any length of time, you probably know that I have zero sense of direction whatsoever. Um, when I started driving, um, you know, many years ago, I really, really struggled. My parents' grad gift to me was a GPS because they knew I needed it. 
And I remember even before I got the GPS, I had been going to the same church for 12 years, but I did not know how to get there. And so I would like drive, I would use my GPS to get there or I'd like drive with somebody else because I was too scared to try on my own. And I remember multiple times like missing my exit and then each time I was like, it's okay, I won't make that same mistake again. Eventually I'll make all the mistakes so that I'll know the right way. And when we first moved from our home, when I was in high school, we moved from like one side of Shore Park to the other. And I knew how to get from my old house to my new house. And I knew how to get from church to my old house. But I did not know how to get from church to my new house. So I remember like driving all the way to the old house, basically like pulling up and then driving to my new house, which was not like logical at all. It was like added a lot of distance to where I was going. But I genuinely had no sense of direction, like none. Now, if you would meet me now and see where my sense of direction is at, you would still laugh at me for sure. Like I cannot get anywhere. I use Google Maps all the time. But I will say this, I probably was like a 2 out of 100 when I started driving and now I'm like a 10 out of 100, which is really good for me. Like I've improved. I'm like pretty sometimes I'm like that way's east and I'm right. Like it's crazy. Um I have four like only four options, 25% chance, but still pretty proud of myself. Um but I say all this to say that this process of sanctification is just that. It's a process. We're not going to reach perfection, I don't think, on this side of eternity, right? We're trying, like, obviously, we're trying to maybe get to 100, but maybe you started at 2. Like, you know, maybe you're at a 4 now, and that's amazing. Like, that's something to be celebrated. I think the thing is, though, we just can't be comfortable. We can't be content to stay at 2. If we're moving forward, if we're moving in this process, that's amazing. Like God is working through that and he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that, you know, he's not going to set this impossible standard that we could never reach and laugh at us when he fails. That's not the kind of God we, he, we serve. The Holy Spirit's right there with us, beside us. He's doing this process with us and he's picking us up every time that we fall. This shouldn't be something that's like so condemning and shackles and like this terrible thing. But actually what it is, is it's, it's life. It's it's an incredible thing that God is taking us in this process. Um, so I just, thanks. <laughs> I just wanted to also, um, I think 1 John 3 goes through this a little bit as well. Um, and it's just talking about how this same thing, actually the, the chapter starts out, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Um, and basically, it goes on in verse 7 to 10, which I'm going to read for you. It says, if I can find it, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Which is pretty heavy as well. <laughs> but at the same time... Um, 
I think there's something important in there too that I wanted to address. And Colossians 3 also talked about this, which is that we do this with each other. Um, community often reveals th these issues or these things that are happening in us. Can, community can also reveal kind of the symptoms of what are happening. God is interested in, in fixing the heart issue. He's he wants our minds. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. But when we are loving each other and doing this process with other people, that can give us life. And just like I talked about that whole idea of like shame and condemnation, I think the first thing that's going to do is that's going to pull you out of community because you feel that shame and that community, that church, that loving of other believers is what's going to bring life to this process. Um, God, as our father, is not trying to, oh, sorry, and I also wanted to add, sorry, on that one, that in 1 Peter it says that love covers a multitude of sins. And so when we are rich in love, when we are doing this process with other people and showing love to other people, again, that's sort of like choking out those other areas, those areas of sin as well. Uh, God as our Father isn't trying to change our position as his child. We are his child. Like I said at the beginning, there's nothing you can do to change that. No matter if you're like 100, if you're the 100 out of 100 on this list and you've got it all, you're good to go. Like even still, you are just as much a child as anybody else in this room who's accepted Jesus. Um, that's not going to change. But he is standing and he's saying, but I have more for you than this. I have a better way. I want to pull you out of some things that are getting in the way of, of whether that's, you know, whatever area it is. We need to pray. We need to seek God. And we need to let the Holy Spirit guide this process. We have to invite him in. We have to let him do this. We, he's not just going to come in and say, like, okay, sorry, like, we're going to move everything around. Like, we have to actually give him that control and let him do this. If we let him do this process, he will take us to that rich and satisfying life. He will, he's promised that in his word. We can hold on to that, and we can believe that. So will you join in this process today? Will you do this hard work are you comfortable at the two or are you going to keep going forward? Are you going to allow God to take you further and further in this process of sanctification? Because it truly, it shouldn't be this thing that weighs us down. It should be like an exciting, like, okay, God, let's do this together. Let's join in and let's, let's let him have control.